Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Cowboy boots. Yeah, my family trees got southern roots. I'm loud, I'm proud in my pickup truck. I dig getting dirty out in the mud. I'm a New York girl, I get a little extreme in my redneck. Redneck limousine. All jacked up, penny time dear green. Got a rebel flag and a Yankees cap. Proudly hanging on my gun rack. Got back throw pipes and a big V8. My New York slang's got a southern draw. You can really tell when I say, hey, y'all, I love tailgate parties and barbecues. Blasting Johnny Cash and the boxcar blues. All boys just want to get inside. And the girls think I'm crazy till I give them a ride. I'm a New York girl, I get a little extreme Am I redneck? Redneck limousine All jacked up and painted John Deere green Got a rebel flag and a Yankees cap Proudly hanging on my gun rack Got fat throw pipes and a big V8 Cooler than the blizzard of 88 It's the hottest set of wheels you've ever seen My redneck limousine Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was JD Danner with Redneck Limousine. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hi, Nicole. And hi, um, Greg. Hi, Carl. <laughs> An extra special reason why we're featuring uh, JD. Yes. 
In honor of. In honor of the fact that it is Pride Month. J.D. Danner is a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community. She's from Florida, but she also recently released a single and she does a lot of good work in terms of touring during Pride Month and performing there. And she's also performed on military bases. And she was also on the NFL halftime show back in 20... Let me just make sure I get this correct. 2016. So she's had a lot of accomplishments in the last two decades of her career. And then she originally from New York, I thought, right? She's originally from New York. She lived in Nashville for a bit. She's performed at like the iconic Bluebird Cafe and stuff like that, but she now resides in Florida. You know, my picture used to be on the wall at the Bluebird. Remember that, Greg? <laughs> I don't remember. Do you think it's still there? Did I send no, it to I'll, them? No, when I when I when you got me the gig there back in, in, right. in the early nineties, right. Amy, Amy was running it back then, right? Yeah. I had a picture and and you gave it to her and it was right up behind the she's bar. She's still the, the owner. Yeah, but she doesn't uh, run it anymore. She, I don't think she's around much. But they anymore. put it up there and I was so proud. And then when I moved back like in two thousand, whatever, when I moved back ten years later, moved moved there. It was down. They took you got <laughs> renovated. You got renovated, Carl. Yeah, I was renovated out, but yeah. I was up there for like a for a weekend, maybe. That's so I've cool. I've never, you know, for for thirty plus years, I've never been a fan of that venue. Uh, it's just, um, you know, there are people that say it's the greatest, you know, live music venue, particularly for songwriters in the history of live music, and I, I just. I just can't go there. I've well, had for me, I think I told this experience. I think I told the story already, but for me at the time, I was like a New York rocker, you know. So right. then I did. Then I started like in the late eighties. I started this um, acoustic thing. I played at Chennai, you know, down on Eighth Street, and you know the the bottom line used to open up, you know, when I was around. And then the bitter end, of course, a million times. But like you know, New York audiences when you're solo acoustic, they're talking, and even if you have, let's say, you have a hundred people in the room, right? But if 10 are talking, which is only like one-tenth, still, mm-hmm. it sounds loud. So I'm, I was always used to people talking when I played, you know? When I went down to Nashville, and the first time you got me that gig at uh, the Bluebird, the, I remember playing that. They all shut up. They were quiet. <laughs> they were like, it's like, it was like holy mackerel. I wasn't used to this. It was like scary, <laughs> awkward. Like, why doesn't anyone say anything? And then, yeah. they, and then as soon as I'm done, they clap. And I go, what is this? <laughs> they're actually bizarre. there for the music. Well, for that, well, or at least they're polite. So I love that. So I guess that's where they, they, they get that from. I've had some pretty extraordinary experiences in that, in that room. Um, do you remember in the 80s, there was a guy that came from Ireland that uh, had a couple of kind of alternative rock songwriter type hits his name was luca bloom do you remember that oh, sure i know the name yeah i saw cool. luca bloom at the bluebird and you know kind of was sitting like 15 feet from that big giant astounding uh ovation guitar that he banged on i hated for, those guitars uh, man yeah but it was uh it was an amazing show because he's a, he's an amazing writer and a great performer too. So. You can't sit with those guitars that round back and it would slide off your your leg. And they just take your head off at a certain frequency, right? And they're plastic, know? that plastic back. I, you know, dang, dang, well, so I never, dang. I remember, I remember, like you know, um, what's your call? But I remember doing when I played the Bluebird too. 
I was more of a performer, singer, not just a songwriter. So I used to like do my sweating thing with the long hair and 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 banging the guitar and stuff. So when I so I think when they first saw me, they because they expect some guy to be sitting on a stool and like singing these songs, and I'm there sweating and banging and screaming. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, well, who is this guy? <laughs> who is he? Because that, that's not the way you know the traditional kind right, of right. That wasn't thing what... happened in Nashville, even even back in the day. I mean, yeah. you, you uh oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know the thing that I think Nashville audiences are conditioned to receive is these kind of stories behind creating the songs. Because when you're in these these guitar poles or these circles where you've got writers talking back and forth about the craft and about how so- certain songs came about. That makes me sick. <laughs> audiences would not permit that any place other than Oh yeah, no, you're why you wrote this song. Unless you're exactly. like unless you're John Lennon or Bob Dylan or somebody of, of right. such you know importance that they want to hear you talk, but who cares why I wrote like, you know, well I was you know, I was down in the, in, in my grandmother's basement. You know, like, who cares, right. Man? Well the reason it works is because without exception, almost all of the writers I've ever worked with that had any success, you know, they're very congenial. They've they got great stories, you know, a tremendous sense of humor, and most of them are really smart. So it does, you know, it, it makes for good conversation, even if they're sitting on a stage and there's a hundred people in the audience listening. Well, I will say there is one person I know who kind of does that talking conversational thing very well. And it's Morgan's dad, Richard Lee. I have seen him a handful of times, um, some private homes, some like him actually performing. And he probably has it down to a T on how to do it. right. He's one of the guys that created it, you know I mean? And you know, and and you, his picture is in the dictionary under congenial and smart and a uh, great sense of humor. You know, he's a great guy. The biggest guy to do it is Springsteen. Sometimes Springsteen's intro to the song he is will riff on his songs. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. that's why he plays for four hours, you know, yeah. two and a half hours is talking, you know? <laughs> but he's great at it, you know, and like, but that's yeah. what he does. So no, I get it. And you know, if yeah. you got that, do it. But to me in Nashville, a lot of it didn't ring true to me. A lot of it yeah. was like what you said. Some people do have a knack and it's natural, it's authentic, but others, you know, they think that's what they're supposed to do. So they make up this ridiculous, well, you know, and they, they try to be folksy and all that stuff. And it's baloney. Just play yeah, your well, song. there were some legit, like, you know, leaders in, in the space. I mean, I, when I first came to town, I worked with a guy named Frank Dykus, who wrote a bunch of hits for George Strait. And he was kind of considered a founding father of this kind of co-write culture that that nashville had made and he was he was brilliant at it he could you know i remember one time seeing him at the bluebird and he said you all don't know much about what it's like to be a songwriter but let me play you something i think you probably have heard it and then he proceeded to play you know you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy and it was like pretty stunning you know to hear a song that's ingrained in everybody's memory in that format it just he and a guitar player singing and it was like wow that's that's crazy you know you know i didn't like too i i didn't dig the uh the credential mentality we're like well and they they try to be all the aw shucks about it well and this is one you know that and they do some little story and it was cut by chris christopherson or they drop a name or it was cut on the last johnny Mm can you know like then just play the song 
that man, I'll tell you though, that is that's quintessential Nashville. But let's talk about all the people that have cut the song. Right. Or let's yeah. talk about all the people that were planning on cutting the song but didn't. And yeah. they had a hold. Yeah, yeah that's why I used to say on. stuff like, you know, you know, this is one that I wrote for the Beatles, but they, they rejected it. You know, I, I would just lie. I would just lie. And then people would go, Really? You sent that to the Beatles? Yeah, no, no. Well, you I know, sent them to I sent yeah, it to them. I was eleven. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never heard back, but Right. You know, you know John called me and said, No, we can't use it. So I don't know. But anyway, but you know what? Hmm. Don Kushner Jr. Jr.'s This Day in Rock. You know what happened this day in rock? (laughs) Two things. One thing, back in 1967, this was the first day of the Monterey Pop Festival, which is kind of... The pretty much precursor the, to Woodstock. Uh, to all to Woodstock and everything else. That yeah. is the concert that basically discovered Jimi Hendrix, the Who to America. Janis Joplin got signed from that. So that was mm. a big thing. And then five years later, David Bowie released the album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, which wow. did not do well initially, but later down the road was considered one of the greatest albums of all time. You're starting to get into this, Carl. Today, yeah, you, you, you really are. On today's, <laughs> today's Don Kirsten Jr. Jr.'s Day in Rock. Take care. I did. Uh, I wore my Don Kirshner's in concert uh, T-shirt uh, the other day, and I got a bunch of compliments on it. So, yeah. do you think anybody really like you know? I guess the younger people don't even know who I'm goofing on. No, but the <laughs> thing is, they'll Google it in a second to figure they'll it out. Google it. We'll I hope so because when, when they because I remember he used to because I he used to do like these um, on that show, which was like the big show, the yeah, Seven Night. Was it Seven Night? Was it called? Don Kirshner's rock concert. Right, right, exactly. Every Saturday night at eleven thirty was the big yeah. show. You saw everybody, man. I remember seeing like Slade, like, oh, like man. you know, the amazing. New York Dolls, like you know, Fifth Fleetwood Mac. Everybody was on that show. He wasn't there. Every you could see everything was pre-recorded in the studio. <laughs> right, right. So like you know, and then it would cut to like, hello, this is Don, Kirshner. and he would sound like that, like you know, it was very, very kind of um, no emotion. Like, yeah, it was next generation. Um, uh, Ed Sullivan, you know, it was the, right. He was like, and yeah. now we have the new band from England, the Pink Floyd. Yeah, something stupid, man. Yeah. It was just anyway. He was definitely a man of his times. He was. We mentioned it last week. I mean, he was really quite an accomplished A and R guy for a oh, lot yeah. of acts. Yeah, in the he basically basically created the Monkees. You know, he, he knew wanting- a song. Yeah, he could hear a song. You know, he could hear a hit. All right, so we did that. Anything else we want to talk about on oh, this? Oh, uh, were, were we? Are we? Do we have to talk about Country Music Week? Well, here's what I was going to just bring up very quickly. You got especially bad to say about especially it, especially because Carl brought up interest. the whole in this yeah, day in rock this festival uh, happened uh, and things like that. So it seems like this time of year, it was me. It wasn't Carl. It was not Carl. Sorry, it was Don Kirshner Jr. Jr. brought up <laughs> this day in rock. But it just seems like this time of year is festival heavy. So last <sighs> weekend we had CMA Fest, which. I did not attend because I was not around and then was sick. But from the highlights that I saw, apparently Spotify House was very... Then apparently Bell Tower was the next draw and appeal because I guess Carrie Underwood had some big things going there. But 
what's disappointing to me is I did not hear or see any drippings of like smaller stages with smaller concerts and, and things like that going on. And that's always kind of what, at least for CMA Fest, the smaller artists at that point can try and get on those stages. But I think they limited it a lot this year. Well, it's just, I mean, were there thousands and thousands and thousands of people seeing the performances? I don't know. I mean, I did not see everything super packed like it normally is, but I also don't know if they limited stuff because of COVID. So, Well, I, I would imagine that absolutely nothing was limited because of COVID, but it, it would make sense to me that they might have been concerned about crowd control from, from just the general idiocy that goes on down there, you know, so. A lot of people that attended too are like, quote unquote, influencers in Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. know what they were doing there since they don't really have any influence in country music, but a lot Mm -hmm. of them got tickets and things like that. So what do we call us? We're influencers. Ignorers. Ignorers. We're the ignorers. Yes. So the ignorers did not go to the CMA. I like uh, I like unfluence too. I think that's. Well, yeah, we're okay. We'll we'll become unfluencers. (laughs) Stick Um, with us. We'll help unfluence you. But what's funny is this day in rock, like literally today, Bonnaroo is happening in Manchester. Yeah. And that's always an interesting. And it's a hundred and eight. 108 mm-hmm. uh, heat index the entire week. You yeah. couldn't pay to go to those things, man. Well, Bonnaroo. what's funny is I know probably the next couple of days we are just going to have so many helicopters flying back and forth over Murfreesboro from Manchester to Vanderbilt. Because I remember the year Kenzie was born, CMA Fest and Bonnaroo coincided on the same weekend and we were in the hospital and for some reason, we had the like recovery room that was right by the life flight. And every five minutes, that stupid helicopter was going to pick someone up that was like too drunk or heat exhaustion or you know broke a leg or something like that. So that that's fun. When I was when I was younger, I was too young for Woodstock. But about five years later, they had this thing called Watkins Glen, which was this big concert upstate New York, which had um, the Dead. The band, and I think Allman Brothers, they did this big show. Like, I think a half right. a million people showed up. And uh, I remember I used to have this friend, PJ, who was his deadhead. I used to fight with him all the time because we used to argue like the importance of the the dead versus the Beatles. And I go, give me a break. They don't even compare. You know? <laughs> but he was like one of those dead that's the, way, that's the way deadheads would operate. But we had this, but he was a deadhead nut, right? And then he was going like, well, the dead are like the people's band, man. They're like, you know, they're like, you know, one of us. I go, below. Tony PJ, let me tell you something. While you're trudging in the mud for three days to get to Watkins Glen, Jerry and his buddies were staying at the Sherry Netherlands. They got a limo to their heliport. They would heliport right to the backstage, walk up on stage in their tie-dye, do, do, do two hours, and then get back and go in there, heliport to the helicopter back to the Sherry Netherlands while you're, still, while you're still trudging in the mud. So don't tell me about it. of the people, the dead, please. Right, Carl. Do you remember the rolling in the seventies, the Rolling Stone record review? Do you remember that? Like, was it was a printed publication? I think so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and it was like I I don't know who wrote it, but it was um it was a printed publication, and I never, admittedly, I never listened to the Dead. I don't know. I know very, very, very little about them. And for decades, you know, I completely ignored them 
based on one review that I read in the Rolling Stone record review, probably 1973, 1974. And the first line of this review for their entire catalog was, The Grateful Dead, the most overrated band in the history of rock music. And I just always remember that. And I thought, well, no reason to go there. And, you know, when I got into college, all my friends were into it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I haven't even heard those records. You know, Terrapin Station, all that stuff. I hadn't heard any. Yeah, yeah, I know Uncle John's band, you know, Friend of the Devil. You know, I've seen him a couple of times. I had friends. Back in high school, senior year, I had a car, a station wagon. A lot of times I was, like, you know, recruited to drive to these things. Like, that's how I got the Bowie tickets, I think I told a while back. (laughs) So so at the Nassau Coliseum, you know, these guys said, you know, we'll get your ticket if you drive to the dead. Pick us all up. I go, okay. So I went to the dead. That's so great. No, literally, literally, I swear to God, this is a true story. I remember going to the dead. Everyone's standing up. I got bored. I fell asleep about an hour in. <laughs> woke up two hours later, and they're still just jamming and doing like, I go, oh, what's going on here? So anyway, so I, these people next to us are screaming and going, and I'm talking to this one girl. And she goes, she goes, man, how could you be sleeping? This stuff is amazing. I go, really? She goes, yeah, man, I've seen them like, you know, 75 times. I go, what? 75 I go, times. I go, what? Are you like? What's wrong with you? (laughs) She goes, you know, these people like, so it's funny. You got to give them credit, man. Up until the 80s, I think the last record they released was like 69. And they (laughs) they toured like, you know, arenas for like- They're still legendary. Two decades and never released a new song. They're just like, it's a joke. Now, conversely, you mentioned the Allman Brothers. I I love name dropping on 90s. Well, they were great. Allman Brothers were great. In the 90s, I actually worked pretty closely with them. I- represented a guy named Alan Woody, who was a bass player in the Allman Brothers. And I I spent a considerable amount of time with Alan, and I got to see their resurgence in the 90s of being like kind of one of the original jam bands. And it was was very uh, heartening and inspirational to see them play in these sheds and these outdoor arenas and actually completely blow people away with their ability to jam. It was uh, extraordinary. And I got to see several of those sets from the side of the stage, and it was just pretty amazing. They were great. You know, they, yeah. they were a great band. You know, but yeah. Watkins, if you think about it, the band are a great band. You know, the Allman Brothers yeah. are a great band. The Dead, yeah. I don't get. And if they were to be yeah. the Dead too, they supposedly spend millions of dollars in their sound system. They're supposed to be so, why does the music sound so chintzy? You know, <laughs> all, all the money they spent, those guitars, licks were all so cheesy sounding. Do you think, like, they don't get, like banjos probably going to get death threats from Dead I don't dead care, heads. you know, like, I, I never got it. You know, living on I don't know, man. So I, I, I never got the dead. But anyway, you want to play some more music by uh, JD? Yeah. Well, why don't we first learn about her publicity company, which is Live Delano PR, and then we'll hear Almost Home by JD Danner. This episode of the podcast features an artist managed by Live Delano PR. Live Delano PR. With experience in social media management, influencer marketing, and media outreach, Live Delano PR is your one-stop PR shop. For more information, you can go to livedelanopr.com. Again, that is livedelanopr.com. I wake up in the morning 
with voices in my head I try to find a reason to get out of my bed My mind is so distracted by what used to be a dream The best things in life aren't always what they seem I start a new place, take a new direction Dance in the rain, try some reinvention With faith I will get through the storm Will be what I will choose I know life can be tough I'll be a little tougher When I see the lightning I won't fear the thunder I'll start a new page Take a new direction Dance and rain Try some reinvention With faith I will get through the storm I'll find my way on my own I'm almost here Sometimes it was a hunger That kept me alive But I've made my peace You know, I hear a lot of um, Melissa Etheridge in that. You know, yeah. uh, Indigo Girls. Right, right. All that. You stuff. remember the Indigo Girls? Yeah. You know, uh, I thought that that record. To, they made a an album. Was the name of the album "Closer to Fine" or was that the single? I never. But I, I, I never understood. Very what informative. I never understood what they even meant. "Closer to Fine." What does that even mean? Well, I'm getting better. Yeah. Like closer to Fine than probably Rock Bottom. Right. It's, to me, it's a weird phrase. I guess it's a mm. cool sound, but I never understood what that meant. I, I like the song, but I never understood what that meant. The uh, the whole album was pretty amazing. I think it was made in 1989. Yeah, like, so. what happened then? They just kind of fell off the planet. Right? I, I think they're still out there, and they're still performing. It's just that that, was, that album had a huge impact. Really cool record. The writing's amazing. This is a, it was a naive question, or maybe an obvious yeah. question, but... 
Why do we love music so much? Why do we idolize musicians and artists and more so than movie stars, more so than painters? Something about music, songs and, and singers. And Am I right? Like, what is it about? It, it feels like it's from a collective voice. I think that's why we like it. I think that when you hear a song and when everything is just right and the song has been created to emote something particular, your brain is just firing so much that I think you think this feels as if it is a communication from a different sphere. I think from because a I think I, I think because music is a big memory trigger for one, and I also that's part of it. Yeah, and I remember it's funny. I'm I'm reading these like you know I'm, I had my 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 voice my opinion on McCartney really not being able to sing up mm-hmm. to par these days. Yeah, that's. But I'm reading reviews, man. And people are loving it. People are like going, oh, best concert ever, you know, legendary. You know, I get to see my, you know, it, it, people is just because he represents that. He's that guy who was part of the Beatles. It's bizarre. Like, you know. It could it also be because everyone kind of maybe is cluing into the fact that this is probably his last tour too. Maybe, but but then a, then a funny thing is, then I just saw this. Rolling Stones thing from Liverpool and Jagger's like Jagger's amazing. Seventy eight yeah. years old, he's doing this no thing. question. He just oh, wanted wait. to. Didn't they just cancel the show because he got COVID? He or just something? got COVID, yeah. but but still, but he'll get over that, you know. But the funny thing is, like, he's still like his, he sounds the same. How it's, many how many times have you seen the Stones? Never. Is that really? Bizarre? I've never seen the Stones. Wow. I, I've seen them four times. I've never seen and the Stones, Zeppelin, so many of the big bands I've never seen. The stuff the stuff that I'm seeing on YouTube for the current Stones, it's got as much energy as the stuff that I saw 30 years ago. Well, because half the band is 25. You know, the, the bass player, the drummer, the keyboard, the, you know, the young well, guys. I, mean, I, I think Jagger's got still got energy. Well, you know? Jagger's I mean, still that, di- you know, yeah. you know, you know, I, I always, you know, I don't want to say anything, but it looks like Keith Richards is going to fall over at any moment. <laughs> you know, Ron Wood always. Ron, yeah, but he always looked like that, I guess. And yeah. Ron Wood, like, whatever. I don't, it's funny. I don't consider Ron Wood a Stones guy. Even though he's been in him, in him for twenty years or thirty years, to uh, me it was Brian Jones. Even Mick Taylor was more of a Stones guy than Ron you, Wood. You uh, consider Ron Wood a, a faces? He's guy. a faces dude. He's Rod Stewart's <laughs> guitar player. I'm sorry, you know. And then um, I don't know, man, but it's funny these guys. He's the rock and roll dudes. I saw this thing. I saw Rod about Stewart Ro- still got it too. I he's saw still- him. He was at the he was at the Queen's Jubilee, yeah. and he sang "Sweet Caroline" by. By Neil Diamond. What the hell is that about? What is that about? You know, and, and he's wearing like he still wears orange jumpsuits and, and, and like he's dressing like he's kicking soccer balls, right? <laughs> or maybe hitting them with his walker. And if you saw if you saw the show, it's really bizarre. Google the the, the Rod Stewart performance at, at the Queen's Jubilee. We'll, we'll, like, we'll put a link in the show notes too. But the funny thing about it is like it's him on this catwalk, right? And then on, on either side of all these three three girls, red, white, and blue dresses then there's just one guy in the middle of nowhere sitting at a little portable keyboard like like <laughs> what, what's this guy doing check his, it out his doll i don't know who he was <laughs> he's but he, generating all of music i guess you know? but it was just funny to see this one guy old dude with like white hair sitting with this little cheesy keyboard or in the middle of nowhere like by himself what are you Crazy, doing man. anyway you know what is interesting about all this is that you know th- from for me 
I had a long career in the music industry and I worked in almost every aspect of, of music. You know, I worked directly with labels. I actually created right. some releases. I worked in music publishing. I worked in... You were really uh, you in know, the industry, right? You name it, but I never, ever had any experience whatsoever with the live thing. And that is what the industry has become. The industry has become... Sure, keep making records and let Spotify take them and play them for people. But how you're going to be known, how you're going to become legendary is this live business, this concert business. The live thing you're talking about is like, you know, I, I've done different levels of live too because I played yep. forever. And it's yep. very funny. So back when I used to do it, like when I was in my late teens and 20s they always had roadie guys and you know and they right. had long hair and they always like wore t-shirts and ponytails and kind of most of them are kind of dumpy or like they were skinny fat you know what i mean they weren't mm -hmm. thin they, they, they were thin but they were out of shape but they were and that's they, the beer gut yeah. whatever yeah. And, like, and like so anyway so i hadn't played in a while i remember like i did, I did a show a few years back at, at this you know symphony space here and the head roadie guy was this guy with long hair like it's the same guy it's like 50 <laughs> years later it's the roadie guys are the same guys you know beer wow. bellies you know jean baggy jeans droopy <laughs> schleppy funny how there's a certain type of person that's a roadie yep. But anyway, did we talk to, uh, I think we asked, um, we asked JD a few questions for our questions of the week segment. Here's that and, professional. Uh, well, tell us a bit about, about JD first, before we talk to her. Don't we, so we asked her two questions, but to get to know her a little bit better, JD Danner has captivated audience nationally and globally with her Johnny Cash meets Joan Jett style. Her career has spanned over the last two decades, and she has amassed incredible accomplishments such as touring and performing at U.S. military bases, performing as the first and only ever house band for the Florida Panthers during the 2015 to 2016 season, having her cover of Better Times Will Come chosen as the song featured on Janice Ian's website, bettertimeswillcome.com. One of her most notable achievements is from 2010 when her original song, Thanks to the Brave, was chosen by NFL cheerleaders for the USO tour, and she was invited to perform during the halftime show for the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium that year. Very cool. The first question we asked JD is, what music artists have influenced your career so far? So I'd have to say the artists that have inspired me as a songwriter would be most of the female writers, such as Carly Simon, Lucinda Williams, Stevie Nicks, and definitely Melissa Etheridge. I really like her lyrical style. I think that for me, when I write, my lyrics need to say something. I don't like to write a line just to make something rhyme. And I kind of spend my words like you would spend money, so I don't like to be wasteful in that way. And I find that these women that are writing have something to say. Also, what I like about Melissa Etheridge in her career as an artist is that she gives back in many ways. And I also like to be philanthropic with my music. I think that because I get so much from being a performer... I like to give that back. And in doing so, I have partnered with organizations such as the American Cancer Society with a brand new angel, Forgotten Soldiers Outreach with Thanks to the Brave, and Women in Distress with Shelter from the Shame for Victims of Domestic Violence. 
Well, it seems like she not only takes inspiration from artists, but she also takes inspiration from others who are doing good. So that's actually something we've not heard on the podcast so far. And another person she mentioned too, like, you know, Lisa Etheridge, but I love Lucinda Williams, man. I, I think she's underrated as, as hell. I think she's a, a wonderful artist, man. Well, she uh, has, she's, she's like, she has a cult. Yeah, well, I, I get it, you know. Um, Carl is part of the cult. I think she's working on a new but record. No John Mayer or Red Hot Chili Peppers this week, for sure. <laughs> the Red Hot Johnny Mayers. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so I think we asked her something else, right? Yes, we asked her one more question. as it, it is, what is your favorite music concert to date? My favorite concert and why? Wow, that is hard to choose because I've been to many, many shows. But one that sticks out in my mind was a show I saw a few years ago. Uh, Stevie Nicks concert, where along with her biggest hits, she performed some of her most obscure material, some songs which weren't even ever released. And that was um, really interesting because she explained in detail the stories behind the songs. And you don't usually get that in a concert. So I really enjoyed it. And that show it's interesting, got mixed reviews because there were people that didn't enjoy that. They said she, they thought she talked too much in the show, where I walked away from the concert really saying, what a great show. It was so nice to get to know her as a person and as a writer on a much different level. So for me, um, that was one of my most memorable and favorite concerts. And as a songwriter, because music can move emotions in so many ways... It's so powerful that being a writer that can write that kind of material is what I aspire to. That's funny. We were kind of prophetic at talking Just about talking that. Just talking about right? that, about like, you know, some people mm-hmm. like that stuff. But I'll tell you something funny. It's funny. You know, I thought of, because in, in one of her songs, in one of um, JD's songs earlier, I think the first one, she mentioned about the thunder, mm-hmm. you know? And then it made me think of Stevie Nicks. And then she wrote that in the song. I don't know. Is it Rihanna? I don't know what song it is. Like, thunder only happens when it's raining and play, right? Yeah. That's right. not true. <laughs> that's that's wrong. You know, I just realized you that thunder have, you- only happens when it's re- yeah. wrong, uh, Stevie. Meteorologically challenged music. You know, yeah, maybe players only, really players only love you when they're playing. I get but, you yeah. know, when you're telling me thunder only happens when it rains and it doesn't, yeah. you're lying to me. So if, so if you're lying about that. And it never else? rains in California, that's not that's true. That's a lie, too. What is wrong with these <laughs> yeah. people? With these meteorological whatever. And it makes for good music. <laughs> I guess. You know, what do they call it? Uh, poetic license? Yeah. Know? Yes, that's it. I always use my my lousy grammar. I just say poetic license. Because I don't know, within one song, I'm like in first person, third person, you know, I'm all over the place. And the song goes, hey, poetic license, man. <laughs> you know, without talking grammar here. So, well, she sounds cool, you know. Um, good for her. You know, good for JD. You know, anything else that we need to talk about? I, as have, a- I wanted to ask you a question, Carl. Oh, no. What? Are, are you smiling this week? I guess, you know, this is going to be, I, I think I have to Where's have these, our money from those people? I think I'm I have sure to have these, I, th- I think I changed my mind. I think, you know, I talked to my mother, then again. I think she says I have to have these on for 15 years. 
<laughs> so by the time I'm dead, I'll be buried with the best teeth on the planet. Yeah. The straightest teeth on the planet. <laughs> I'll tell the coroner to, to wrench a, a big smile on your face. And, I don't know, man. What are we doing here? Show those teeth off. Ugh. Are you about ready to get on out of this episode? Yeah, let's get on out of this episode, definitely. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. Make sure you listen all the way through because we have one more song by JD called Better Woman. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later. Insecure, so self unassuring, so broken up inside. But now it's clear I have finally faced my fears, and I won't stop till I. I was dead.